HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a new year of the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guests are Napa winemakers Steve Reynolds, Anthony Bell, and Heidi Barrett. We'll talk with each winemaker about their wineries, projects, and the new documentary film Decanted, A Winemaker's Journey. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Steve Reynolds, Anthony Bell, and Heidi Barrett are among the finest winemakers in the Napa Valley. They've been rooted in the valley for decades and have played a major part in making Napa wines world class. Steve Reynolds fell in love with wine as a teenager in Europe, but eventually went on to become a dentist. Fortunately, he packed that in to pursue wine. Steve is the proprietor of Reynolds Family Winery in Napa and is a sought-after consultant in the valley, including Italics Wine Growers. Anthony Bell hails from South Africa and was born into a wine family. Anthony also fell in love with wine as a teenager in Europe, working in Spain, France, and South Africa. He holds a master's in enology from UC Davis and was instrumental in the success and continued success of Napa legend, Napa legend Bolu Vineyard. Anthony is the proprietor of Bell Wine Cellars in Napa. 
Heidi Barrett is one of the world's most renowned and respected winemakers, also hails from a wine family. She has had her hand in creating some of the Napa Valley's most famous wines, including Screaming Eagle, Dalla Valley, and Grace Family, among others, along with her own brand, La Serena. She, has also, she also has a project called Barrett and Barrett with her husband, Beau Barrett, of Chateau Montalena fame in Calistoga. We'll also be talking to everyone about the new documentary film, Decanted, which follows the development of a new winery, Italics, seen through the eyes of elite Napa winemakers. Welcome to the show, Steve, Anthony, and Heidi. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Guys, great to have you on. Um, Normally, we don't do a show with three guests, but you guys are so good, I want you all together. You also have a very common cause. You're Napa winemakers. You were also in the film. So... I'll talk to each of you individually for a few minutes, and then I want to get into a whole bunch of other stuff. So talk over each other as much as you want. Not, okay? Um, I want to talk to you guys about what you're currently doing, your wineries, your projects. I want to talk to you a little about the state of wine in the Napa Valley. And then, you know, I want to get into the film Decanted um, for a bit. So, Anthony, let's start with you. You... You've been in Napa Valley for many years. You came into a wine family. You worked for a a legacy, legendary winery, and now you have your own winery, Bell Family Vineyards, correct? That is correct, Sam. So, Anthony, just here's a chance. Just tell us a little about the winery, what you've been doing, the type of wines that you've been making, how you got to where, you know, things are now. Okay, so I started the winery in 1991, so we'll be approaching probably our 27th vintage now. Wow. Um, it started out of out of um, some research I did while I was at Beaulieu regarding Cabernet clones, and in particular, a very old selection of Cabernet that today is known as Clone 6. Explain to people, unique... Anthony, ex- explain to mm-hmm. people what a clone is and a Clone 6, and I know you'll discuss what the significance is, but All you right. brought it back, but people don't have a context. Right, right. Good question. So, so clones are not genetic engineering. Clones are, are really a natural mutation of a grapevine. Because they are, are self-pollinating, they can create their own progeny. So um, Cabernet can form many different types of Cabernet. A good analogy is when you go to a store and you buy apples. There's not just Granny Smith. There's many different kinds of apples. They're all apples, but they have different appearances and different flavors. And grapevines have the same ability, be it Cabernet or Chardonnay or Pinot Noir, that can create different types of Cabernet, each of which has a different cluster shape and berry size and flavor profile. And back in 1979, 1980, we did some, some groundbreaking work at Beaulieu Vineyard to show that not all Cabernet is the same. And there was at a point in time when people didn't really think about different grape varieties having different flavor profiles. And out of this research, we, we, we encountered one Cabernet, which today is known as Clone 6, that had some very unique flavor characteristics and some very unique growth attributes. And we started to propagate that um, in, our, in our company vineyards. And that was the first time this selection of Cabernet was, was really commercially planted since the turn of the century. What, uh, so very exci- what Clone 6 replicates, does it replicate, you know, any European 
grapes or clones? It, it reputedly came from it reputedly came from Chateau Aubryon in Bordeaux. Not bad. And it has a very distinctive Cabernet Sauvignon varietal character, which people often describe as being slightly herbal or um, herbace, herbaceous, um, which to me is a very pure Cabernet Sauvignon character. Um, and to me, that's very, a very fascinating uh, flavor profile. So, so we've really kind of pioneered our winery around that flavor profile. There are many other types of Cabernet selections that have less of that Cabernet varietal herbal note that a lot of wineries plant today. Um, because I think there are certain people in the, in the wine drinking public that, that probably aren't quite as familiar with that that note and don't necessarily right. appreciate it. Are you using but, the Clone 6 currently in your lineup of uh, your wines? We do so. That is our signature wine. Um, so when we started in 1991, that's the only wine we were going to make. As the decades have progressed, we've obviously added different wines. But we really focus on Cabernet and different clones of Cabernet. So today we make 14 different types of Cabernet-based wines at the winery. We kind of jokingly refer to ourselves as the house of Cabernet. Well, how uh, would you – would you do the, the, do the styles vary, or is there a house style that runs across the majority of those wines? Oh, I think we absolutely have a house style. And um, describe for me. I think the wines are all very unique. Um, we work with nine different Cabernet Sauvignon clones from eight different appellations in Napa. So it gives us a lot of different pieces to work with. We bottle some of them as single vineyard wines, some are single clonal wines, and then we make various blends or proprietary wines. So, so one can, can theoretically stand in front of 14 different bottles of wine and see Cabernet Sauvignon expressed in many different ways right. from the unique terroirs that we have in Napa Valley. Nice. All right, Anthony, I'm going to jump over to Steve. Steve, when you talk to an, an enologist, you get all that technical stuff, right? You know that well <laughs> enough. Um, yes, exactly. Steve is the proprietor of Reynolds Family Winery, been at it, God, over 20 years as a family winery. Talk a little about your winery. Okay, happy to. We're a, we're a very small production winery on the Silverado Trail. In fact, uh, I have to give a thanks, big thanks to Anthony because he was actually instrumental in helping me. He was there early on as a friend and a mentor, correct? Yeah, Anthony was a huge, huge help for me. He reached out and when I was in a time of need, changing over from dentistry, he was a huge help. What, convincing you not to be a dentist anymore or how to make wine? <laughs> Well, you know, I don't think anyone needs to convince you to stop being a dentist. Yeah, I, I agree. With you. I think I think your life may be a little more fun now. Now, I, well, actually, when you show up, when you show up with a bottle of wine instead of a needle, everybody loves a little you. More, a little more, yeah, a little more respectful, or not respectful, but I would say receptive to having you come to a party. Let's put it that way. Right now, you said you're you're a small production winery. You sort of embrace an American style of wine. Is that a correct description? It's it's something that you've 
kind of built your wines around. Can you explain that? Well, you know, I, I had the pleasure of getting to live in Europe for about eight years growing up, so most of my wine knowledge came through my dad. So I kind of grew up with a European palate and enjoying you know, gray wine small over. Now, was he but just was to, he just a drinker and a traveler and a collector, or did he have any more involvement in wine? No, you know, he was an electronics guy. He was a semiconductor guy. He so just I loved wine. Yeah, he just loved wine, and our photo albums were uh, full of labels that he'd steamed off of bottles nice. over the years with all of his notes and I was the only guy in the family, so... Beats a crappy stamp collection. Yeah. So I basically was the guy that sat and drank with my dad, literally, as a teenager, and learned all this great stuff. And our vacations, we'd go to different wine regions, whether it be France or Spain or all over. So I, I did get a taste over there, but, you know, when I came back to the States and started getting into this and started making homemade wines and eventually making the shift and giving up dentistry and going back to study Davis, you know, I, one thing I noticed all the way through was constantly we were compared to European wines and everyone would say things like, well, this is no Bordeaux or this is right. no Burgundy. And, you know, I, 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 I don't want to say I was upset about that. I do understand it, but, you know, I, I kind of started to instantly throw out there that we, we aren't those regions. And right. In fact, you know, quite proud that we have this beautiful Napa Valley in the United States with our own style of wine. So you embrace that? Totally embraced it, and so then love every minute of if it. If you had to describe your style and the, the style of American-style wine, just give me some descriptors. You know, I think if you were to look at a wine list and go through it, you know, I think nobody would deny the fact that you know, Napa Valley wines in particular, I would say, you know, we're probably known for our fruit-forward characters. Big, bold. But also big and bold and, you know, and, and you know, the big Wild West kind of thing, I think Philippe says. And, you know, you know, we don't have a lot of the restrictions that they have in other parts of the world. So we're sort of like that ungoverned engine. We can do whatever we want. And I think that's stimulated some great things across the world. I mean, even the start of, like, French garagiste, you know, guys that right. are looking at how we've pushed the envelope and trying all kinds of different things. And, and when I say this, I don't want it to sound like we're disrespectful and we're making these technical wines. And no, no, no. It's an opportunity to develop, you know, your own style in, your, in a specific area with the grapes available. I mean, totally uh, the right thing. Um, I want to jump to Heidi for a second, but I wanted to ask you, you consult for a bunch of other wineries, too. So a lot of your time is spent running around, it seems. Yeah, you know, I think like Heidi and, and, and I think Anthony does the same. You know, we we produce other small brands for people that might own a vineyard and right. don't have the whereabouts to produce a wine. So I get the pleasure of working with several other brands That's and probably nice over 40 different vineyards. I want to get into that a little later. Um, all right, let me jump over to Heidi. Heidi, hello. Hello. Heidi has been referred to at different times as the first lady of wine. Not a bad distinction. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Um, 
Heidi is one of those people who really had, like I said earlier, her, her hand in some uh, pretty dynamic wines that sort of helped shape the reputation of Napa and all of that. And you've been involved in your own brand for many, many years, too. It's not like that's a new thing, and you have a recent project. So just try to wrap that all up for me and tell me what's going on. Yeah, it's been a, uh, a great ride so far. I'd say so. For many decades, for sure. And uh, really, the, the switch for me when I was working for one winery uh, in particular as a young winemaker, then having kids in the mix sort of made me have a look at the job and say, how can I be a mom, number one, but fit my winemaking you know, love and, and jobs around that? And it it became the start for me of working as more of an independent winemaker, working for multiple wineries that didn't necessarily need a full-time winemaker, but they still needed one, somebody to, to you know, take everything from, from when you pick through, through putting the corks in. That became my job for multiple small wineries. So, that, so those demands were easier to manage? Than oh, the yeah, resp- much easier. Really? So I could just set my own schedule. Um, as long as all my work got done for everybody, they sort of let me free flow between, between <laughs> the, jobs. And the funny thing is a- we're not talking about two or three wineries, you know, at its peak. So I guess, you know, you were able to manage it, but you were running around pretty good, too. Yeah, I was running around a lot, and I actually still, <laughs> I still run yeah. around quite a bit. I still have eight clients that I'm their winemaker. So, so currently I eight clients? I kind of thrive on that, actually. I like the excitement of that. I like working for multiple projects. Your kids are um, older, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fun. It's, it's a lot of fun, and it's exciting. And I learn different things from different locations that actually kind of can file away into my library of knowledge that some of those things I can pull out when I see the same situation someplace else. So I think my, my you know, body of, of knowledge has gone up you know, really fast because I've worked for so many people over yeah, the years. Yeah, a great and, you know, A lot of different things, yeah. Tell me quickly about, because La Serena has been around, and you've got a lot of accolades for that. Just tell me quickly about Barrett and Barrett with your husband, Bo. Okay. So, um, well, La Serena, just backing up just for a sec, we started in uh, 1994, so going into, I don't know, 24, 25 years for my own brand. Um, started making that with just, you know, wines I personally love to make and love to drink. When it's your, your company, I just started small. It's still quite small. But, of course, Cabernet is my first love, and that's our flagship wine. I also get to make some other creative, creative blends in the mix and uh, a dry muscat that's quite fun and then some proprietary winemaker blends that I've had a lot of fun with as well. Um, and then Bo, being winemaker for Chateau Montalena for so many years, he's got very distinct, specific you know, winery experience with that one brand, we'd never crossed over and made wine together. So we started uh, Barrett and Barrett brand in 2008, where we took, you know, both of our skill sets. Which Was wine bottled in 08 or? Uh, we bottled, well, we made the first wine in 08, so that okay. one would have been bottled in 2010. Right. Um, and then released a year later. Right. So, yeah, so we've been at it it's for fairly a new to the market. Yeah, it's, it's not that new to the market. It's been out for maybe five years or so where right. people can have access to the wine. Focused on what we both have built our reputations doing and what we're, we're most known for is making, you know, very world-class, high-end wine, um, Cabernet in particular. So that's what we focus on. We just make the one wine. Um, Mostly say, mailing list or yep, restaurant mailing and list. mailing list? Yes, there is a mailing list for that. We, okay. we typically make about 300 cases a year, wow. not very much. Um, Sold in either three packs or six packs, and then some beautiful magnums all etched that we both sign. If they want to sign bottle, um, the magnums are the way to go. 
Nice. So, yeah, a lot of fun. All right, I want to jump around to everybody now. Um, you guys are like the cab rat pack. You know, you're so dedicated <laughs> to cab. Um, I, I want to ask this quest. These questions go out to all of you. So, you know, okay. jump in uh, when you can. You guys have been in Napa, God, 20, 30 years. I mean, there's a lot of new winemakers, a lot of new wineries. You guys have the chops and, you know, you've been there a long time. Tell me how the valley has changed in your eyes through the years. I mean, what, what are the good things, the obvious things, not dwell on the bad things? You want to start, Anthony? Yeah, I think um, I've been in the Valley just about 40 years. Um, I think, um, you know, a lot of the wine that we have today is the result of vastly improved viticultural or grape-growing practices that have been implemented over the last couple of decades. Um, When I came to to Napa in the 70s, um, there were a lot of... Um, disease-infected vineyards that I think detrimentally affected the quality of wines that we're making. They were difficult to ripen, a lot of issues with winemaking. And and over the period of time, we've become very much focused on vineyards, microclimates, appellations, areas where grapes are grown, putting the right grape in the right place. So the farming, and things, the farming and the science got absolutely. a spotlight on them. I think, I think in, the, in, the, in the 70s, I think it was all about the winery and winemaking and trying to make wines better in the winery. And there was a great advance at that point. But you get to a certain point where I, I kind of sarcastically say the produce needs to catch up with the technology. And our, right. our grape quality wasn't where it needed to be. And I think through global research... And in the case of California, the very unfortunate, disastrous impact of phylloxera, right. wiping out vineyards, but the very positive side of that, that terrible tragedy was replanting vineyards with, with the latest and greatest technology. Right, which um, That came with a lot more grape-growing issues we had to learn about. Canopy management was, was one big thing, and and the many hand manipulations we do in vineyards. But it gave us it gave us healthy vineyards. People used the right spacing, the right trellis systems, planted the right rootstocks and the right varieties in the correct areas. And almost overnight, I think our industry came of age and right. it put us in a position where we produce world-class wines. Steve, your observations? I mean, you really started, like you said, making your own wine. You know, now you have the small family winery and you consult. What 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 have you seen? What changes really are obvious to you? Yeah, you know, I've watched, just like I would say, Anthony, I would totally agree that, you know, the, you hear that saying, you know, the best imprint on wine or footsteps in the vineyard that growing great product, you have to have great grapes. So, but I do see a whole bunch of, newer technologies creeping in, like ozone and all kinds of things, which we probably don't have time to go into on this show, but there is some cool technology creeping in. Well, in the movie Decanted, which we'll get to, you work with a winery, Italics, and they embrace what looks like a lot of some of this newer technology that not everyone has embraced. 
and didn't exist years ago, correct? Yeah, you know, no, some of it is older than most people think. Like okay. the ozone technique is called Puravino, but it's been in Italy for eight years. So, you know, sometimes what seems new on one continent is actually old stuff. Right. You know, it's like... But it is new like if it wasn't here. Say bell bottoms, you know, bell bottoms eventually come right. back around, right? Right. So, uh, but ozone is new. But there are a lot of things, you know, style of fermenting, using oak and going back to old oak fermenters. A lot of us are, first of all, doing better at growing grapes for sure. So definitely more focus on that of late than earlier on? What's that? I'm sorry? Definitely more focus on all the science and the growing more recently than at the very beginning. Is that what you're implying? Well, yeah, I think it's more that we have these things now, like satellites and imaging and weather forecasting, and we're able to work better with Mother Nature because we understand her a little better. We can... You know, I always use this analogy of, you know, maybe we just have, we're still sailing the ocean in a boat skimming across the waves, which is, you know, 100% natural water, wind. But maybe now we have a computer that just helps us tack a little bit tighter, right? right. So, and yeah, then we maximize really every opportunity. How about exactly. you? How about you, Heidi? Well, I mean, um, your exposure to, to so many uh, different wineries, you know, you must have seen things change. Oh, yeah, huge changes, especially from when my family moved to Little St. Helena in 1968. <laughs> little St. Helena. Yeah, yeah, it was a dinky little town, very rural. There was there were almost no restaurants and nothing of any quality to speak of. in So the physical days. aspect of the valley. <laughs> yeah, sure. That is definitely new. Now you want good food, we've got it. Not wow. only do we have great wine, but you can actually go out and, and get a, a great meal now, which didn't used to happen in, in those days. Um, yeah, things have changed quite a bit, and yet the valley as a whole, if you just drive up to the valley for the first time and you've never seen it, it is still just flat-out beautiful. Every day, like, you is. know, I feel so lucky as I go to work and look around how what a beautiful place it is that we all get to live and work here. And with the, uh, we have something called the Agricultural Preserve in place, which, which doesn't allow for a lot of housing to happen around here. Most of the land is designated. It can only be used for agriculture specific for vineyards. Very stringent and, laws, right? Yeah, and it's been so huge in you know preserving that best use of our precious ground here in Napa Valley and, and why it's largely still so beautiful and not just overrun with, with you know gi- ginormous right. homes these days. It's a but, nice um, thing. Yeah, I agree with um, with the guys about the, the farming um, things that have really improved. Also getting the right grape in the right place. A lot early mm-hmm. on was sort of a little bit haphazard practice, you know, planting different varieties wherever um, they happened to, you fit, whatever you felt like planting, you did, and then it turned out to be maybe not a good choice. So later with replants, people, you know, fine-tuned that a little bit better and paid more attention to, yes, it is cooler down at the south end of the valley and warmer as you go north, and those are better well, places for So let me ask you this question, and I guess the best way to answer it is yell out a yes or a no. Okay. Um, to everyone, has climate changed in the period of time you guys have been there, and has it affected the wine? Well, we've or is been, it, all three of us have been around long enough to That's see, why I'm asking. Yeah, cycles of weather more, and I think that, you know, the different cycles of weather that we're seeing still fall into fairly normal range. 
like this year, we're having a huge rain year. We've been there's been flooding. You've probably heard about it right. the last few days. It's all over the news. All over the news. But so it's not had, the first I time you've had flooding rains. Yeah, it's cyclical. Rains. We've had other years of flooding rains. We've had other years of drought. We've had hot years. We've had cool years. It sort of nor- seems to me normal normal patterns of, of cyclical weather. And last year, I think we actually had whatever normal means. I think we actually had it for once. Usually people are, you know, quick to judge. It's right. hot, it's cold, it's late, it's early. I think last year was actually what we would recognize normal. as sort of normal. Yeah. Normal crop level, normal climate, normal rainfall. Everything seemed really good. So, um, in you know, having been around for, you know, decades in the business and living in Napa Valley for that long, you really do recognize those weather patterns where we've seen even more severe droughts, even more severe, you know, heat and cold spells. So I, I don't think, I think people have a short memory often. Right. And they can't remember that. Everybody blames it on climate change. But you're do. probably right that it's cyclical. I think and, so. Yeah. Um, it, let, let me ask all you guys this. Is there, <laughs> this is coming from a guy on the East Coast who collects and drinks a lot of nap wine, but is there too much wine out there? Are there too many guys making wine or you don't? It's good for you guys because you all consult, but is there too much going on or it doesn't seem that way? Everything's manageable. A lot of stuff is small. Steve, what do you think? Oh, boy, that's a loaded question. Backing you against the wall, yeah. (laughs) I debate whether I should have been a brewmaster now. Um, Wow, but same thing. There were, you know, a thousand breweries 10 years ago. Now there's 4,000. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, I remember when Two Buck Chuck came out, you know, and everybody's saying, well, what do you think about it? And, you know, I think my standard answer for that stuff is, you know, hey, um, for the first time, you know, the, the younger generations have moved away, you know, moved into the wine bracket and away from hard spirits, et cetera. Because of the value? And, because, because of the value of a cheap wine available? It could be the value of cheap wine, or it just could be that, you know, I love the fact that with, you know, with like shows like yourself, that the younger generation is intrigued with the stuff that we grow from the earth, and and they get that these are handcrafted things, and they get to make their own opinion. So for, you know, so I there, think here's other the, than just a bottle of booze, right, there's something artistic still about wine that I think they've seen from their parents, and they get. Well, here's what happened. I guess the changes. They used to put a bottle of Screaming Eagle on a pedestal. Now they put Heidi on the pedestal because they appreciate what she does, what you guys do, how hard it is, and the input. You know, so I, I think you're right about that. Anthony, do you think there's just too much going on or it's okay? <laughs> I think I'd echo Steve and say it's somewhat of a loaded question. You know, I, I ask myself this a lot. You know, are small winery fighting in, in a but honestly, it's a very, very competitive. But it's a lot of them are vanity projects. Segmented, and I, I think I think that's what I was leading to, Sam. I think when you look at it, I think there were like sixty-eight or sixty-seven wineries when I joined BV in nineteen seventy-nine. We're approaching, I think, eight hundred wineries, wow. and, and several times that in terms of brands in Napa Valley. So when you look at the numbers, it would say it's too much, and yet within that, we've all carved our niche. We've all found something very special about our philosophy, our style, our vineyards, our location that's allowed us all to succeed. And some are vanity projects, some are very small projects. You know, we we cover a a plethora of of positions in the marketplace. 
I, I, I think the, the I, converse side of it gives the, the wine drinker fabulous opportunities to drink I agree. at all price points, at all quality levels, at all flavor profiles. It's, it's terribly exciting. I think the reason I ask the question is I don't think it's blown up. I mean, nobody's you know, at each other's throats. There's a lot going on, and it's grown substantially, and I think you articulated, you know, what's going on with everything, and I think for now that's a good thing. Um, I want to ask you one last question, and then let's talk about the movie for a few minutes. Um, this show, my audience, the way the world is going on right now, social media is such a big thing, and the beauty about it is you could do so much with it with so little, and I mean cost and staff and, you know, hiring companies and all that. Have you guys embraced social media? Do you think you're at the level of social media you should be at to help your wineries? Steve? Um, I definitely will tell you I'm probably not the tech expert for sure, and I'm learning about it every day. In fact, I fumble with, with my iPhone and my computer, but... But I think we're learning quickly. I think even us old parts are kind of figuring out that it's super important. I mean, heck, let's look at the last election, right? There's just things are changing, and I think I mean, we all Twitter is now the news feed. What's that? Twitter is now the news feed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So right. I think it's great. I'm figuring it out and slowly, but uh, I'm trying to get stuff out there, too. And, you know, I think the best part about it, it levels the playing field a little bit away from... You know, the big monopolies, little right. guys like me do have a chance to right. actually get some wines out and have people have discovery. So do you make it more of a focus and a priority? Is that an area you should be, you know, even spending more time growing? I would say absolutely yes. Okay. I, I am guilty, just like eating chocolate chip cookies. It's I'm okay. probably guilty of a lot it's of okay. <laughs> Heidi, what about you? Yeah, we're so small. We we really could do. But a that's job where the benefit that. We is. Do a little bit, but we, you know, there's me and two other very part time people that that I work with. One, our sales manager and a, an office manager that comes in, you know, twice a week for half a day. So we're really a small company, and it's just one of those things that sort of falls through the cracks. We do a little bit, but we definitely could do a better job. I think that's probably a really common story for small wineries where you have to wear all the hats and there's just, you know, there's just not enough uh, time in the day to get all those things done. So you have to prioritize. And uh, I I agree, but I would tell tell you that you are small and can look big with, you know, an effort that's not crazy. So, yeah, I'm sure you're right about that. We will have to we'll have to do better on that this year. That could be our New Year's resolution. Okay, Anthony, what do you think? I think we're very weak. Um, I th- I, it's, it's, uh, I constantly have a staff of, of younger people telling me I need to get with it. Um, <laughs> we, do, we do a minimal amount. We could do a lot better. Um, I think, you know, to Heidi's point, it takes time. Agreed. Um, it doesn't take a lot of time. I, I think that's, I think it's part of, I don't want to say generational, but I think if you're I look at some of the younger people on my staff, and they're Twittering and Facebooking and all this stuff all the time. For me to go to Facebook, it's like I need to think about it. Right. And I think if, if I could get across that bridge, I think we'd be much better at it. Um, well, so I, I think as, as in our case, the younger people have a bigger role in our marketing. I, I would see us doing better, but we are not very good at it right now, well, unfortunately. 
your Uncle Sam from the Grape Nation is telling you guys for your New Year's resolution <laughs> that you should pay a little more attention. Attention. It's not as much time as you think. It's it's minimal money, and the impact is great. And you know you can craft the direction and the message and the audience and all of that. So we'll leave it at that. All right, let's jump into the movie. I want to talk about the movie a little because all of you are involved with it. Um, Steve, you were an associate producer, and you had an involvement with one of the wineries. Just talk to me quickly how the movie came about. You know, the movie kind of came about a little bit on a whim that, uh, um, you know, getting to meet some guys, these guys from Digital Cave, um, particularly um, Nick, who's Nicholas. the main director of the film. Right. And, and um, you know, I always had this idea that, you know, every I saw him, you know, that great movie about studying to be a master sommelier. The first one, right? And, yeah, so yeah. that gave me this idea that you know people I think would love to know what's behind a bottle of wine, and not just what you read in the magazines, but truly see these vineyard workers working so hard in the middle of the night and how really you know the the blood, sweat, and tears that go into a bottle. So I just over beers one night sitting in Baltimore had this conversation with Nick, and he said, "Well, you know, maybe we should do this." and and here we are, three years later. And I called on, of course, some good friends and the, great the people like people. Heidi and Anthony and Philippe and everybody, and we uh, we kind of put this thing together, and it, it came out really cool. Yeah, um, I want to come back to the movie in a second, but we have to take a quick break. Um, so let the show take a quick break. You're listening to the Great Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We're talking to Steve Reynolds, Heidi Peterson Barrett, and Anthony Bell. We'll be right back. Steve, I know i got to get you to dinner, so we'll be done soon. We'll be right back with the Grape Nation. Have you tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sirchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin make this gorgeous Alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sirchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sirchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. All right, we're back. We're back with Napa winemakers, Steve Reynolds, Heidi Peterson Barrett, and Anthony Bell. We're talking about a film they're all in and involved with called Decanted, A Winemaker's Journey. Steve described a little Heidi Describe further the film and what you think the film wanted to accomplish. 
Yeah, I think as Steve mentioned, you know, I thought it was a good idea that, that they, they put together, you know, kind of following the, the life of wine and, and what we actually do um, when we try to put a bottle of wine together from, from grape growing all the way through, through bottling. And it just focused on a few small producers in different capacities and goes through the, the annual cycle of, of what we do. And so kind of a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at that, which I think, you know, we're all used to it. We, we live around here. We see it all the time. It's our whole right. world. But most people have no idea when they have a bottle of wine on the table at a restaurant, really what goes into it and, and, uh, and how much work it is for starters. Um, so I think they did a pretty good job. It was beautifully shot. There was some terrific um, footage in the film. It shows how beautiful the valley is and also a lot of the passion that the people who do it have and how much hard work it actually is. Yeah, Anthony, I think a good chunk of the film, a lot of the footage, and Heidi, it was beautiful, it was very visual, was really outside during harvest, during the growing, you know, as the grapes were growing. I I mean, Anthony, I think there was an opportunity to really show people that it does come from the farm. You know, it's not just this finished bottle. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely, Sam. I, th- I think one of the things that it really illustrated was all of the small steps that had such a big impact on the final bottle of wine. I mean, we often we often say it where people come to the winery in their mind, picturing the, the I Love Lucy episode where she's jumping in a half barrel on grapes and you end up with a bottle of wine. And they leave, and I think the picture does this, they leave the, the film realizing that are so many pieces that, that influence every decision. Every decision we make during the day, and many, many of the decisions are irreversible. Right. Um, and I think, I think that, I think each of us that were in the film kind of showed that the decision we make, we cannot change. So it, it raises the ante and, and, and keeps this kind of 24-7 mentality going for that two or three month period to be busy picking the grapes. Right. So the film's called Decanted. Heidi is in the movie, Steve is in the movie, and Anthony's in the movie with a handful of other passionate and prominent uh, winemakers. The movie previewed, I think, at the Napa Film Festival, and it's going to be on the road at a few more festivals, Park City Film Festival in Feb, Clay Theater in San Francisco, Baltimore in February, and then a few other showings. But coming on February 21st, it will be digitally available on iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play. So if you're a wine person like me, if you love Napa wines like I do, if you're just interested in the whole process and more importantly the people... This is more than a fun film. It's a terrific film visually and very informative. So look out for the film Decanted. Um, All right, we do a thing on the show called The Wine List, and we're running out of time. What I usually do is ask my guests just a bunch of spontaneous questions about wine, and I wouldn't let you guys go because you guys are the best. I just want you to, I'm going to go around the table and ask you guys a few quick questions and answer them quickly. You don't have to get into it. We'll go Heidi, Anthony, Steve. What are you drinking now, Heidi? 
What's on the table? What's interesting you? Is it seasonal? <laughs> well, I was, Ronald, what I'm talking to you. I'm having some uh, minty green tea, actually. It tastes pretty All good. All right, let's go alcoholic. Alcoholic. Um, Anything you're see. trying, tasting, any type of wine? You don't have to go brand. I just did a tasting this morning of 28 Cabernets. It was a cooperage t- uh, trial at another winery. It was a lot of fun. Same wine in 28 different coopered barrels. So you're really tasting for the barrels yeah, to see what effect and styles. And how it either would enhance or detract from the base wine. It was really interesting. So it was Cabernet. All right. So we're going to say Cabernet. Steve, drinking anything besides beer? <laughs> Well, if I had to be very candid with you, I am kind of a tequila guy, too. Okay. Not <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'll take that. What about you, Anthony? Um, for a Cabernet winemaker, we drink a fair amount of Rhone varietals. I okay. Love, I love Rhone. I love Grenache. Big, bold, chewy, similar wines. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Quick one here, too. Favorite wine and food pairing. Heidi, something you go back to, you like, complements each other? Oh, I love actually dry muscat with uh, oysters. Yeah, oysters. Okay. Great classic. Combo. Yeah, Steve. Um, I'm probably a white burgundy scallop guy. I know we're all going whites right now. That's there you enough. go. I like that. So far, so good, Anthony. You know, peanut cabernet person. You know, steak, red meats, and, and cabernet. Love that. Throw in a roan if you want to. All right, give me the Napa. Addition of the answer to this question, because normally we're in New York, a lot of guests are in New York. Your favorite Napa Valley wine restaurant and or bar? And I'm not asking you to compromise you, but do you hang out at places? Do certain places? Uh, I'd say the Goose and Gander Bar, the downstairs little bar, is so fun. It's like a little clubhouse down there. And what about selection? Do they have decent stuff? They do. Okay. Um, Steve? You know, my ideal day would be taking my wife to Alberge on the veranda. Beautiful. Bubbles. For, and then for running, down to, uh, running down to Rutherford Bar and Grill for a greasy burger and margarita. You're such a romantic, Steve. Anthony? <laughs> uh, Bistro Gentil in Yonville. Okay. Great food and great wine selection and just a great little place. Yep. Been to there. All right. Favorite all-time wine? And give me two answers. Give me the favorite all-time wine that you've been involved with, and then give me, you know, like the 61 Petrus or something that changed your life. Heidi? Oh, gosh. That's almost impossible for me. Um, I know it's tough because you... All right, I'll answer it for you, okay? Okay. We'll... We'll push everything aside, and the thing that drove everybody nuts, I guess, was the 92 Screaming Eagle. Yeah, I was going to say that. Auction record, you know, set the tone for a lot of things. What about, you know, is there a Bordeaux or a Burgundy that drives you crazy? Um, nope. There's just, I like them all. Okay. I, just, I like wine so much. I love just the array of flavors you can get. I don't have any particular one. All right, Steve, do you have a wine you make? For yourself or for someone else, that's great. And then you sort of led on to that white burgundy. Do you have another wine that you love that's a favorite? You know, I'm going to be, I hate to kind of give this up, but um, I've always had a secret crush on Heidi's wine. And I could name a few, but, uh, you know, there's there's been some great ones that have changed my world that I've tasted from her. And then 
Um, gosh, I would say something of my own right now. We just had a Stag's Leap Reserve cab um, of ours. What uh, year? Uh, 2007, which was just nice unbelievable. Year. Yeah. What about uh, World Wine? Oh, God, that's a toughie for me right now off the top of my head. All right, um, then. God, uh, there's just, yeah. I'll let you uh, pass on that. Anthony? Okay. I think from within my own portfolio, Sam, probably on 1991 Clone 6 Cabernet. Um, was that the first vintage? or? I'm sorry? Was that the first vintage? That was our first vintage. Okay. I had a chance to taste it last year, which would be like 24, 25 years in the bottle. And it was it was everything I was hoping I would be making at that point. So part of it's emotional. Part of it is just it was a fine wine. Well, that's nice to hear. I think I think as a benchmark wine, and I'm sure Hardy's tasted this wine many times, I think the 1970 B.B. George Latour Private Reserve is a benchmark Napa Valley yep. wine. Just yeah, a yep. spectacular made wine made. Richard at, Peterson. At a point in time, yeah, a uh, spectacular wine made at a point in time when our vineyards were, were, were not the greatest and technology was not the greatest. And that wine survived decades of, of aging, and it's, it's really beautiful. Very nice. All right, I'm going to wrap up the show because I don't want to hold you guys any longer. Um, thank you, guys. Um, if you have a question, a wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's Sam at the Grape Nation. Follow the show on Twitter, at Ben Ruby. Follow us on Instagram, at SBenRuby. And follow us on Facebook, The Grape Nation. That's how you do it, guys. Um, thank you to our guests. Good job, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> thank you to our guests, the Napa Rat Cab Pack. That's your new name. Steve Reynolds, <laughs> Anthony Bell, and Heidi Barrett. There's a lot of great wine being made from these guys. We talked about their projects, so now you have some uh, specific stuff to look out for. Also, thank you to Nick Kovacek. He directed the documentary film Decanted. Um, you can go... Is there a website? Does anybody know if there's a website for the movie? My bad. There is a decanted web, uh, decanted uh, Facebook page. Just, just go, so go to the Facebook page. And finally, thank you to our engineer David Tattashore and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to the Grape Nation. We bring wine to the people. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks thank for you very much. Bye. Thanks, Sam. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.